the edge of the familiar, where your comfort zone ends and the unknown stretches before you. That's where greatness awaits. Are you ready to take that leap? This is the Risk Big Podcast with your host, Travis Fitzwater. So I'm sitting here with Clyde Lear, one of my one of my mentors in life, a great, great friend, a very good friend. I'm thrilled to have Clyde sitting down with me, an entrepreneur from uh, for decades, a very successful entrepreneur. Whoa, 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 whoa! Are you sure I'm an entrepreneur? <laughs> that sounds yes. really heavy. It, it is heavy, but all right. Yeah, you carry that weight though. <laughs> you carry it well. I am your friend. Now yeah. that part I love. Yeah, I like being called a friend of Travis's. That's um, well, I appreciate that. That's that's a real honor. Well, it's an honor to be your friend too. You know, when I moved here, you you were you became a really big deal to me pretty quick, as far as friendships connecting me. Now I'm now I've got a couple of best friends because you encouraged us to to be together and grow together, and um, very very thankful for that. I'm glad. Yeah, it's worked out. Well, Clyde, thanks for spending some time with me. Clyde is the uh, the the founder and former uh, CEO of the. Learfield Communications. He sold a year years ago, and he's now retired. But we kind of want to talk through the story of how Learfield began, the beginning workings, as we try to inspire a generation of entrepreneurs. It's really exciting to have a generational entrepreneur in my mind uh, sitting in front of us. And so I just kind of want to talk about the story of how you how you began Learfield. Um, and can you kind of start off by saying why, or telling us why did you start? What were the early motivations? You know, I, um, I, I probably at the time was no different than the kids are today who really uh, uh, enjoy um, the uh, technology that comes with uh, computers and all the allied air areas there. Um, that's sort of where I was. I, uh, well, to be blunt, I was, I was a real nerd. I really was. And... Um, I went off to college and I was bright enough, but I didn't play sports and, um, and I didn't have much interest in sports. And um, all of a sudden, I, you know, you, you, you kind of wanted to do something on campus and they had a campus radio station. And uh, so I dropped in and they said, oh, we, we need you. We'd love for you to be a disc jockey. And I, uh, I said, well, I don't know a thing. About, well, we'll teach you. Come on. Come on in here. And so they showed me the radio station, and, and, um, and I said, sure, sign me up. I'll do this. This will be fun. So I was a freshman, and I began to learn a little bit about this business. And um, it, was, it was an on-the-air, 20-hour-a-day uh, 20, 20 radio station that was on except for just the early midnight to 4 a.m. was on the air all the time. And it had a news department, it had played records, we had talk shows, we had we covered concerts, and, um, and it, was, it was really the delight of what I was at the time. And it was mostly, it was an extracurricular activity, right? Then, um, uh, you know, as I was a part of that, um, I had an interest in trying to use the radio station to carry some of the sports broadcasts of our football team and our basketball team 
And so when the team would play away, I would go with the uh, with the play-by-play guy, and we would do the broadcast back to uh, the hmm. town where we were and carry the carry the broadcast over the whole community. And so it was a way for uh, the people of that community to hear the broadcast from wherever we were playing. And um, and now it was cool. That part was cool. But I got to tell you, what it was a lot of fun. <laughs> You know, it was just something really neat about doing those broadcasts and doing them well and uh, trying to do them better and selling the advertising that went in the games. And um, so that's really when I first began to have uh, an appetite for this, right? And I'd gone to college to be a dentist. Oh, oh my goodness. The dental profession was saved because I, I was, I, I uh, had, been there for two years, taking a lot of pre-med courses, a lot of sciences, but I loved this broadcasting thing, and I was passionate about it, so I uh, uh, wrote my mom and dad and said, hey, I'm going to change. I'm going to get a different major. I'm going to be an English major, and I'm going to go to journalism school at the University of Missouri when I graduate from here, and I did that, and um, went over to Columbia, and uh, enrolled and got a master's degree in journalism and I wrote my master's thesis on regional radio on the idea that we needed to cover what was going on in Jefferson City, Missouri's capital city, from uh, from the capital. Because at the time the only reporting done out of the capital city was done by the two wire services, the Associated Press and United Press International. and then there was a bureau there for the Kansas City Star, the Kansas City, uh, the Post Dispatch from St. Louis, and the Globe Democrat from St. Louis, and that was it. And uh, so, the the coverage of what was going on in state government was really thin and pretty poor. And there was, and it was mostly written. There wasn't anything from an audio standpoint. So when the governor had a news conference, there was no audio. When um, there was some. Uh, uh, some accident in southeast Missouri or a big fire, there was no audio. So this was a way to put that together. And um, so that was, that's so, how we got started. So you I saw, know that's a long diatribe, no, that's great. but that's kind of how we got. So you, you started kind of seeing this problem while you were in school, in college, and your master's program, and then you, you were done with your master's program, and you thought, I've got this void that I can fill. Um, but you came out of school. Were, were you working at the at the time when you graduated from master, from your master's degree program? And then what did that transition look like into starting Learfield in 1972? Yeah, I graduated in '68, so there's four years in there, right? And um, so I came back to Jefferson City. I got married. Um, we began having a family. I worked for a local radio station in Jefferson City, and um, I did news broadcasts, and I was on the air, and I don't know how good I was, to be candid, but, <laughs> but I loved it. I loved it. I loved the business. I loved broadcasting. I just loved this whole crazy broadcasting business. There was something about it that I just, you know, I had a voracious appetite for it that I subscribed to all the news journals, <laughs> and so when Broadcasting Magazine would come out, I'd look at it, and I'd go through, and I'd... 
study everything about it. And this this is where I think why I was so excited to talk to you about this because I feel I feel like that's where my passion lies with this new media deals, right? So this podcasting thing, which is taking is kind of reshaping it is media. it's altogether different now you would you know today i would never be excited about this i mean radio is dull as doom i shouldn't say that probably but, but well you're retired now so you're kind yeah. of off the hook on that yeah but you know no one listens to the radio you talk to i spoke the other day to a group of of, of high school kids and i asked them how many of them listen to the radio today not one hand out of 500 in the audience put their hand up there wasn't anybody Nobody, none of these kids listen to the radio today. They don't. And we, we've got actually my, my brother's stepson's here in, in the studio with us. Elijah, do you listen to the radio? I do. Okay, so we have one young person who listens to the radio. Good still. for that's, you. That's great. Good for so you. So he knows what's going on locally. Um, so you, the, a couple weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, you called me and you talked to me. You told me this story about how you were offered a job in the midst of thinking through some of these ideas on starting a business. Can you tell me a little bit about that story and how you did not, you turned down this job and I'll let you tell the story because you tell it better, but. Well, it just, it, it, it speaks more to, I, I think it speaks more to um, how life is and, and life will give you opportunities and sometimes they're not the opportunities you ought to take. I was, um, the story goes like this: I was, I was working at a local radio station in my time in in Jefferson City, and I was in the, in the news department, and and I was making nothing. It was awful. Um, it was about it was less than a hundred a week, so maybe five thousand a year, which wasn't much money in those days. And I had a wife and a little boy, and um, a, a a guy called one day and he said, "Looking, look, Clyde, we're looking for." a guy that has a master's degree that could lead our um, our public relations effort. And I said, who is this? And he identified himself. He said, I'm with, uh, and it was a state agency, and it was a big agency that you would know. And um, he said, we have a, a position, and it pays 13000 a year. That got my attention. And yeah, so I said, well, I'll come over and interview. So I went over and interviewed with him, and he liked me. And um, so I came back, and I was, all, I was already beginning to spend that 13000 You know, I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, we need a better car. We need to do this. I'd like to take a vacation. Well, a few weeks passed. He gave the job to another guy, and I was crestfallen. I uh, really wanted it. But the good news out of that is this. I would never have started Learfield had I probably would never have started Learfield if I had taken that job and gone to the work over at the Capitol building and, and been involved in that kind of thing. It, it really was a, a blessing in disguise. I thought it was a terrible thing, but, um, hmm. but as it turned out, of course, I was able to start this company and, and um, so. Yeah, well, that's it's such a great part of your story, and I appreciate that because it's um, you know, something that you can look back on and say, I'm very thankful that the path led this way mm -hmm. and uh, worked out obviously very well for you and your community. And But there was obviously bumps in the road as you started the company. So, Oh, man, lots, all the time. I mean, I can tell story after story. <laughs> oh, it was some awful times. So then, just, can you just, just take us through the beginning of that and kind of the bumps and, the, and some of the issues, not only just starting a business, but with your family and your wife and, and making ends meet? We... Um, we started the company, uh, I, you know, one of the things that young entrepreneurs need is capital, 
right? That's the first thing that comes up. When you watch Shark Tank, that's what Shark Tank is about, trying to raise capital so they can make their business go. And um, let me tell you how we got our first capital, because it really does illustrate uh, uh, the way, I think, a great way to do it. And Perfect. it's uh, called angel financing. I didn't have a penny. I mean, I came from a very poor family here in Jefferson City, wonderful parents, but we didn't have much. My dad worked for the military and there just wasn't much. And um, so I didn't, I couldn't go to them to get any money. And I had this dream to start this business. And I went to coffee every morning with a group of businessmen at a coffee shop. And I would go in, and I was, I was by far and away the youngest guy there. These were five or six old men who would sit around the table. And I met them initially because I needed a place to sit. And they said, come sit here, you know. So I got to meet them. And, and after I began having coffee with them most mornings for a year, um, I really liked them. And so I was talking one day. I said, I've got this dream. I want to start a, a state radio network. And... Um, and they said, well, what's that look like? And so I kind of pitched it. And they said, well, we'll, we'll finance that. And I said, really? He said, yeah, we'll do that. And I, I said, well, let's talk about it. And so the guy really took the leadership. He said, let's, uh, let's have a meeting. He said, I'll get four men together. And uh, you bring Derry Brownfield, who was my partner kind of in the thought. And we'll get together and we'll talk about this. So we went to a bank boardroom, which was highfalutin for old Clyde, and, and we're sitting around this board table, and, um, and they put this thing together. And the plan worked like this. I, I would own 25%, and my partner, Derry Brownfield, would own 25%. And these four guys would each own the other half, or 12.5% each, right? So that was the total ownership group. And they, well, we would all agree to put in, um, for them, 3,000 apiece, 3, 6, 9, 12 for half of it. And, and Derry and I would put in 6 and 6 for our other 12 on the other side. So total capitalization of 24,000. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. Okay. So we got $24,000 committed. Derry and I would put in 6 each. They would each put in 3 each. I said, whoa, whoa, I put up my hand. I said, guys, I don't have $6,000, and I don't have any way ever of getting $6,000. You got to know, I was 26, 27. And um, they said, well, that's what we'll do. We will, we will take your note. You don't have to give, you don't, you, you don't have to put cash in. You just sign a promissory note for $6,000 and put it in the pot. And so Derry will do the same thing. He has his promissory note, and we'll put in the cash. So we'll have $12,000, and we'll go to the bank, and we'll borrow the rest. And we will personally, this is important now, we will personally, they said, each of the, those four guys would each personally endorse the loan so that if the loan didn't go, the bankers would go back to them and get their money, right? Okay, if they didn't, if sure. we couldn't pay it off, that's what would happen. So we used, that's how we started Learfield. Is it, the initial capitalization was 24,000. And, um, and that was in 1972, 70, yeah, 72. 
it kind of boggles my mind that Learfield sold just a few months ago, I guess actually at the end of 2016, for $1.5 billion. That's and with a B. It's quite a, quite a change in, in, cap, in, uh, in uh, market. Yeah, yeah, the market it's amazing. was So anyway, we had this 24000 and we started the business, and that's how we got going. And we ran along for, for the first three years, and we made money, and we did well, and everything was good. And what happens to most entrepreneurs like me, we get cocky, right? We get to thinking we're really God's gift to management, God's gift to doing everything. I am so good. <clears throat> well, I, uh, I had my comeuppance a couple of times, and um, I bought a magazine, lost a million dollars in that magazine. A million dollars back when that was a lot of money. And um, I, uh, we started some other ventures that didn't make it. And so, hmm. I mean, it so was a lot of, all, lot of learning. Obviously, oh, it wasn't just you got $24,000 and then you just blew it out of the water. No, we, we'd go along and we'd do really well. And then we'd go along and then, oh, it was awful. But, but we made a lot of great decisions. Now, I mean, along yeah. the way, one of the things we did, I think, which which is was good, is in in retrospect, was we were the first landline free network in America. Now, what's that? What what does that mean? You ask. Well, back in those days, we sent our broadcasts to the local radio stations all over Mid America by telephone lines. Really? Yeah. Now it wasn't like you went in and dialed up a phone mm -hmm. line, but they were what they called full time, full circuit. So they were up all the time, and we would, we would uh, lease these lines from AT&T, and so that's how we ran our operation. Well, it was very expensive, I mean, really expensive to lease these lines 24-7. So in, 80, in, in, in 70, 78, we went satellite, and we tore down all of our lines, and um, we were fully satellite, so we owned our own system. So that was... That was a major change in how we ran our business and a cost savings. We hmm. saved a lot of money. That's 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 really interesting. You found this dynamic in the obviously as you as you grow your company, you build it, you see these dynamics in your expenses and you have to obviously pivot as necessary to ensure that you have you are making some revenue. And you know, I think the young people that are listening to your broadcast today, um, you know, I think the they'll be successful if they're really passionate about <laughs> what what they're into, what they're doing. It won't end up being like what they think it's going to be when they're at the front end. I mean, I thought I was going to feed uh, news programs to a few radio stations, and and it was so much different than than that. It was initially a farm network. And we carried farm programs to radio stations. And then we evolved into news. And then we uh, began to get in sports. And we kind of backed into the sports business. I said at the outset here that I was not a sports guy. I am the biggest <laughs> nerd in the world still. And I don't know much about sports. And I am, i not now, I'm retired. But I ran one of the nation's largest sports broadcasting entities and Learfield today is the largest in that space by far 
And isn't it interesting and, and that it was started by a nerd who doesn't know <laughs> deadly about sports. And, and another amazing part of that now is you're merging with IMG, which is a huge, uh, huge multi, company, right. you know, uh, all over the country, billions of dollars in that in that arena. It's it's pretty incredible. Um, so the when you had a hard moment, let me ask you this: when you had hard moments in that beginning stage, were there times where you thought about, all right, I got to hang this up, um, and what what were, what were those times like, if there were any? Oh yeah, there are always times when you you know you aren't certain you're going to meet payroll. When you um, when I think that was would be the hardest. The hardest times were when you didn't have enough cash to do something you'd promised you would do. Um, I I can tell you a story after one time we we had. We had won the rights to the University of Illinois, and that was a big contract. Illinois, big, big university, and it was maybe the fifth or sixth school for us. And um, so I went over, and 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 we had it all lined up. And but I can remember being uh, with my family and waking up in the middle of the night in July, knowing that there was no way that we were going to sell enough advertising to pay the university what we had promised, nor was there any way in the world that we could even get the broadcast on the air because we didn't have enough cash that would make this work. And I knew it was not going to make it. So I called the athletic director and said, look, I want to come see you. So I went over to University of Illinois and sat down with the athletic director and, and I was just honest with him. I said, I got to tell you, this thing isn't working out like we thought it would, and there's no way at all that we can honor the agreement verbally that we made with you. And he said to me, he said, Clyde, you have to or I'll sue you. And I said, well, the thing you don't understand, sir, is that your business department has not signed the contract yet, and I haven't signed the contract. We don't have anything in writing that unites us. All we have is my word and I said, I will give you my word that we will do one year for you. And we will do it as we promised we would do. But after one year, I'm out. And uh, he said, what? What? We haven't a contract? <laughs> so he goes off and comes back in about 10 minutes. He said, you know, I think your idea is a good idea. Let's just do that. <laughs> but, uh, it's, a, it's, it's really a test. A, a testament to being able to adapt in, in moments when you're you're bootstrapping as you were at that point. Uh, yeah. You know, I had a great conversation with Gabe last week, who's a mutual friend of ours, and um, you know, he was talking about the same thing when you brought up the the idea of why why you're doing something, actually getting into something because you're passionate about it, you want to do it, you want to be in it, and um, he said you kind of figure out your why, why you want to accomplish what you're going to accomplish, and then you figure out the how. At that point, you figure out how is it going to work out because you can't sell the how as well that's you, right. as you can I sell the why. I think Gabe it makes a good point. You know, that's the way it is. Yeah. So um, it's just like when you get married, or when you build a house, or when you do any project, it doesn't end up being like you initially thought it was going to be. I yeah. Mean, it never does, and uh, usually it's better. Sometimes it isn't, but usually it is. Yeah. So. <clears throat> you're so you're a you're a salesman this whole time you're you're grinding and grinding so you can you can sell to properties you can sell the ad space because you're you're buying the 
you're buying the rights to the broadcasts and those things and you're selling ad space, right? I'm, I'm right. explaining that correct. So you're going all over the country yes. and you're just grinding for dollars, yes. for ad dollars and yes. to get properties. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about your, your, as a sales expert, your kind of philosophy when you went into these sales meetings? Well, let me tell you about selling. Can I? <laughs> Please do. Because this, this is talk, this, this is about character development. Sure. Um, I, uh, as I, as I told you at the outset, I, w I was a little bit of a nerd and I went off to college and, and I went to a private school and it was costing a lot of money and my parents didn't have the money to send me. And so it looked like I might have to drop out. And after my sophomore years, I was just going into my junior year, a, a kid, a guy came to campus and said, look, you want a job where you can make a lot of money? And I said, yes, I need a lot of money. And he said, well, I've got a job for you. And I said, what is it? Well, the long and the short of it was, he wanted me to go out and sell books door to door, be a door to door book salesman for a company called the Southwestern Company of Nashville, Tennessee. They're still around. They're still selling books door to door, right? So this was 1965. So in 1965, I went out that summer and sold books door to door. They did a great job of training, and I was dumb enough to do everything they said. I followed their instructions. They said you have to make, you have to work uh, uh, 70 hours a week. You have to you have to start making calls at eight in the morning, and you can you have to work till six or eight at night. And anyway, so that's where I learned selling, and. I not only worked one summer, I worked four summers. And I made an obscene amount of money. I mean, I'm not going to talk about it here, but I made a lot of money. But it wasn't the money that was the important thing. The important thing about those four summers selling books door to door was how much I began to believe in myself. So that when I was finished doing the book selling and started this company, I knew I could go to Chicago and New York and Philadelphia and Los Angeles and make sales calls on advertising agencies and sell them on buying into our new business. And I knew how to do it and I was good at it. And uh, so that really was what made me sell. I learned selling from the get-go. That's, right? that's excellent. And you have this another story that you told me and my buddies a couple years ago about how you traded out ad space later on with, Missouri, with, uh, with Learfield for cars, and can you even speak to that, or is that is that something that we shouldn't talk about? Because no, I think it's a can, phenomenal story. We yeah. can. It's one of my favorite stories. Of I yours. can tell it, but it takes a while, and I'll try to make it really quick. Yeah. There is a thing in the media business called trade, and what that looks like is this: it's just a bartered thing. Instead of being an advertiser, instead of paying cash for the advertising, gives us their services. So, I got a call one day from. Um, Chrysler Corporation, and the, it was the advertising agency for Chrysler. Was it Iacocca himself? Did he call you? Or is he... <laughs> and, and Iacocca, you remember Lee Iacocca? He had. Uh, I just finished his biography. It was really good. Yeah, it was an interesting guy, and and they just had acre and acre and acres of cars that were unsold. The public was not buying, and so they said, "Look, we would like to trade some of these cars that we have out here in the field for." advertising on your network and I said sure so we began to take cars in right I, you know I I would sell them advertising and they would um, 
and they would give me a car instead of giving us cash for the advertising. So I got a new pick-em-up truck for my partner, Derry Brownfield. I got me a big, nice Dodge Aspen for my wife. I got uh, sale, cars for the salesman. You know, I got four or five of those. Um, the <laughs> the, the uh, head basketball coach at the University of Missouri, Norm Stewart, wanted That's a, whole a, different a great story. big, he wanted a big Chrysler. So I got him a big Chrysler, you know, <laughs> and, um, and, and we had lost money in this magazine I told you about, Missouri Life, and, and um, so I paid off a lot of debt there. I gave, anyway, we traded for about 45 or 50 cars, right? And all of this to be run on advertising. Now, the, 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 the rest of the story is this. Chrysler Corporation never ran a minute's worth of advertising. So they had hundreds of thousands of dollars in and ad trading trades. Yes, ad trade, and they never ran any of it, and it's expired. And um, we got the cars, and anyway, have they? Isn't that a funny? They story? ever call you and say, "Hey, we're going to need a couple of those cars back"? That or? scares me. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a. It's one of my favorite stories. I, I just love it that you're. You know, you're you're finding unique ways to to create capital for your business. You're finding unique ways to provide for your your salesmen, your family. It's it's really a it's a great lesson. Um, now, now changing directions a little bit, you guys have this really, um, you have this really neat uh, culture here at Learfield that you helped create years ago. Uh, it's build the team, grow the company, and have fun. It's just a great, simple, very quick. These are the three things that are really our values. Mm -hmm. Can you can you talk about how that came to be? How you guys decided to to create a culture that was really different? Um, yeah, I can. You know. There, there, are, there are some men in this business that, that I've been closely associated with. Actually, in the second half, it was after about halfway through the business, I began, there were some men that we began, uh, uh, I, they were in management roles, and I really loved them. I mean, they were great guys, and uh, they are. They're still there. They're still running the business. And um, so... We, we met one time at a, at a little, we just had an event together and, and um, we had a guy come in and talk to us and he said, I would like for you, you five guys, to think about walking together in a covenant relationship. And I said, what the heck is that? And he said, well, the thought would be that you all would, would be together, you'd be friends together, that you would love each other, that you would keep short accounts that you'd keep Jesus Christ at the center of all that you are and all that you do. And um, some of the guys were at different, we were all at different places spiritually. Some were, were, uh, were laggards, let's just say. They hadn't quite figured a lot of this out. Um, some of them were really active in a church some way. But um, the long and the short of it is we agreed to do that. And um, that was in 1996. And so we've been meeting every month since then, spending time together, playing together. Um, I leave this week to go be with them. And um, they are they're wonderful, wonderful fellows. And so what we try to do is to try to emulate in our actions and in our management those principles. And the first one is build the team. The most important thing is, is being together, being together. 
you know, it's not, it doesn't mean that we don't argue. It doesn't mean that we, we aren't disconnected sometimes. But at the end of the day, we, we reconcile and we work things out. And the second one is to grow the company. We have this pragmatic need to grow. If you don't grow, you're failing. You know, you've got to be taking a step forward every day. And then the last one is have fun. We don't take this too seriously. I mean, I got to tell you what, this isn't brain surgery. This isn't a hospital. What we're doing is just is just sports broadcasts and farm shows and news broadcasts. And it's not, we don't take ourselves too seriously. And how do, what, what were the results when you saw, you know, you had this culture before up to that point, 96 or whenever the date was. And then you started kind of having these deeper thoughts on how do you build a, really, really care for your people, build a team grow a company, have fun. How did things change? Well, the fruit was huge. Uh, I, I think every employee at Learfield, everybody is, is everybody out here, they all kind of, I mean, they don't, we don't verbalize it, but they all know where my heart is. I mean, they know what kind of person I am. They know what kind of person Greg Brown is and Roger Gardner and Andy Rawlings. They know what these people's values are. And, um, and I, and I think it's unique. I think it's unique to what what we are as a company. And um, it plays itself out in so many ways uh, in how we treat people, how we, how we um, treat our customers, how we um, be. Do you, here's an interesting factoid. I don't want any lawyers out there to get offended, but we have been in business now for 48 years and um, do you realize in all those 48 years, we've only had three very minor lawsuits? And they've just been almost minimal. And on those, we, we won two and we lost one. And the one we lost was not a big deal. So, I mean, that's and you're, doing, a, you're doing tons of contracts. Contracts by the way. You're every everywhere. day, all the time. Like hundreds and thousands of contracts with, with, everywhere. Yes, with, with, with major sports entities, with with all of our affiliate radio stations with just sold with, for 1.5 billion so yes. it's like this is a significant and but we just you know we, it's just our culture our culture is that lawsuits take a lot of time and effort and energy and money and and angst and certainly you can solve disagreements in a better way than with a lawsuit that's that's really it's i think it's very telling i mean you're going to get you know, 48 years in business, you're going to get, or 40, however many years it's been, um, you, you know, you're going to come across something eventually. But it, it does speak, your culture does speak to the character of the leadership at the top. And That's it's it. just really, it's really fascinating. It's been fun because I moved here in 2006 to Missouri. Um, you know, I've only gotten to see kind of the back end of this, this culture growth and the, the incredible astronomical growth of Learfield since I've lived here. Um, but it's really neat to come to this, you know, where what used to be your former headquarters here in Jefferson City, but now is just the, one of the offices. Um, now they've moved the headquarters to Dallas, and they're just exploding, obviously. But uh, it's just really neat to see the culture and how how proud people are to work at Learfield and to be a part of this. this. They do like it, yeah, and we have fun. Yeah, we do. Yeah, <laughs> I, we're. I think <laughs> most anybody that knows you knows that you have fun and that life is life is something to be enjoyed and. You know, we, me and, my, me and my buddies, thanks to your mentorship, we've talked about, we've talked about having fun in life. Where do we, where do we get to a point where we're kind of not enjoying life? 
when you become kind of an adult and you think you have to be serious, you have to pay your mortgage, you have to take care of your kids, you can't have fun. <laughs> and you've always encouraged us to go out and play and have fun because you, you really kind of lose that when you get an adult, when you become this serious person. When in reality, you've got to go out and have fun. You've got to enjoy, you've got to be doing some things you enjoy to really kind of give flavor to life. Yep, absolutely. It's good. Uh, well, Clyde, thank you so much for the time. It's such an honor to be friends with you. It's an honor to be here at, in your office space doing this podcast. Thank you for investing in me. Well, you're welcome. Um, thank you for coming. And I want to leave with, with one recommendation. If you have a book or a resource or something you would recommend, what would you recommend to an aspiring a entrepreneur? I don't. I wish I had thought about it, but um, was it? I didn't, I didn't. I may have should have included in the email of, hey, yeah. these are the things I'm going to ask you. Nah, but. I, I tell you, I, through the years, I've read tons and tons and tons of literature. I think, you know, start with the Bible. I, uh, that's sort of my go-to book. Um, there are a lot of other, there are a lot of great business books out there. Um, and I would, I, you know, I would read one of the more current ones. There are some that are out all of them, you know, every, there are new ones all the time. And Sure. Well, Clyde, thank you again. You bet, brother. I'm so thankful for you. Well, thank you.